it was a really painful time, but it prepared me for, you know, what was my next big opportunity, which was suits, which I went in with a completely different mentality of like, make this my own, enjoy it. What do I love about this? And I was really drawn to that script and it just, it was the exact opposite. It totally clicked for me. I felt like I could really do something with it. And, uh, and because I'd gone through that horror show, I went in feeling like I had a suit of armor on. I was like, nothing can hurt or embarrass me as much as that process did. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. I've got a great actor with me today, Patrick J. Adams. You probably know him from his breakout role as dropout turned unlicensed lawyer Mike Ross in USA Network's TV series Suits. He was nominated for a SAG Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor for that role. Um, He was thrust into fame. He was in his late 20s. Uh, The show just really hit. His role in particular just really hit. But you're going to hear today in this conversation, he remembers the lean years, the hard knocks that he got. There's actually a great story of right before Suits, and it's actually hurt just to listen to this story. Um, He knows it. He's been there. And we also got into the flip side of that, which was um, the, the opposite side of the spectrum. When you do have that extreme success, what are the pitfalls there? We really get into a lot of it. He was completely articulate and honest. And uh, if you are an actor, this is a must listen because he really sheds some light and some wisdom uh, with these stories from both sides of it. So you will walk away with a feeling of, oh, okay, wherever I am, when I get over there, as we talk about a lot on this show, uh, my problems are not all solved once I get over there. I uh, really get that. That point gets across. He also didn't just stop there. He recently was playing iconic astronaut John Glenn in All the Right Stuff by National Geographic and Disney Plus. Got a great story about that as well, career-wise, and how this journey as an actor never ends, but it's how we choose to see it and our relationship to the work, to our careers. That's what's most important, and that really is what we get to the heart of in this conversation. Here's the thing. If you're new to the show, maybe you've been listening. If you dig this conversation and conversations like this, and you would like to take them and apply them to your own set of circumstances, your own life, your own career, we've got something we started at the beginning of this year called the 10,000 Nose Insiders. It's for trailblazers, creatives, people that are on the road less traveled that feel like you're lost in the woods. You don't know exactly what to do because there's no specific game plan for a profession that doesn't have an A to B, 
10,000 Nose Insiders. There is a link to it in the show notes. You can also go to 10,000nose.com slash insiders dash community. You can find out more about it there. Uh, we'd love to have you. It is the main part of it is these live videos that I do with the members every Monday um, for an hour and a half. And then every month we have VIP guests come in. A lot of times it's a past guest and talk about issues that are surrounding a career, talk about the craft, but it's not just actors, not just writers. It's all kinds of creators. There are some entrepreneurs in there um, really looking for inspiration, accountability, and a safe place to get encouraged, but also to get pushed. So check that out if you want to. And for now, we have the great Patrick J. Adams. You getting suits, which was a huge kind of, you know, career altering job for you, I think, uh, came out of, you know, we talked about 10,000 no's. It came out of another show going away for you, uh, Friends with Benefits. Is that true? Or is it like, yeah. Well, tell me about that. Like where you were in, in your mind, because was Friends and Friends with Benefits, um, was that a job that had a lot of promise? That's how I remember it, that it was kind of a hyped up show or am I, I don't, I was so, I've always been not great at the half hour stuff. So I had no concept of what I was wandering into with that show, which is part of the problem. I wasn't experienced in a half hour world. I didn't really speak that language. I didn't know what was cool. I remember in the short time I was on the show or involves there was a lot of excitement, but sometimes that's like the case on anything. Everybody talking about how it's going to be the next great thing. And we're so lucky to be a part of it. I remember going out to drinks with the cast and it was all about, oh my God, this is going to be the next friends. And I was like, okay, like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing. I know that I wasn't crazy about the script and that my reps told me that it was a really big deal and that I had to go out for it. And so I did that thing that we do as actors where it's like, I don't get this, but you're telling me I have to do it. And I'm not yet in a position where I feel comfortable to tell you, no, I'm not going to do that. Or I don't think I'm right for that. Or I don't want to go. So I went in for the first audition. I was at a point in my career where I was really jazzed to have, you know, I needed a job. I needed some opportunity. And so I was sort of exporting this, you know, to other people telling me what I should do. Anyway, I went into the audition and I was trying to be open-minded about it. And I did it, I guess the director, like David Dobkin, like just really liked me. And he was like, you're the guy. And I kept being like, I don't think I'm the guy. Like, I don't think I'm the guy. And he was like, no, you're the guy. You're the guy. Let's do it again. Do it again. And you know how it goes. We go back and do like a hundred of these auditions and work sessions. And he kept being like, man, you're the guy, you're the guy. What I found out later was that there was a lot of pushback from the studio and the network being like, we don't think he's the guy. Um, But he was really passionate and he was a film director and it was his first time in, in the, in the television world. So he was used to getting his way and uh, they cast me. And then I got to the table read and uh, it just fell, it fell to complete pieces. It was, you know, I bombed at the table read, which I guess is a classic rite of passage in this town. But again, I'd never done it. I'd never, any table read I'd ever done was either for a guest star role or for an hour long drama where you're not trying to hit a punchline and make everyone in the room laugh. So there was one actor 
at our table read who was crushing every joke came out and i was like <laughs> I, it was like magic watching it i was like what how are you doing this and i just don't have that skill set it's not like what i do and also in my mind like what i had i was the lead of this thing and it, it just wasn't that funny to me i don't know it's like my own fault i, I couldn't make it funny so every time he did something the room <laughs> exploded into laughter every time it got to me it was just crickets and all these people staring at me you know they knew how much money's wrapped up in this thing so anyway it was classic i went home and suddenly got you know six phone calls being like okay we got a problem and then they made me come in and shoot. I'm sure I've totally just taken over the story, I think, and gone from what beyond your question was. Oh, no, but, I love uh, this. This is what the show's about. Go, keep going. They, they pulled me in. Uh, he said, look, you're really my guy. And I kept being like, David, I don't think I'm the guy. He's like, no, you're the guy, but they need to see it on film. So we're going to bring you in and we're going to shoot some scenes. <laughs> And I was just mortified. I was like, all I wanted to do was just make it stop because I knew where this was headed. But he said no. <laughs> and I really like David. And obviously, he's a talented director. And I didn't want to like let him down. So I was like, okay. They organized this shoot where I go. Can't remember the the, the woman's name who was playing the, my love interest, my, my friend with benefits. Uh, but we got together on the back lot of fox i think it was and we just started shooting we shot like three scenes you know and it was just the worst scenario shooting is already as we know a terrifying prospect you've got your own nerves going on but usually you hope that you've gotten the job and you got a lot of supportive people there that want to make it work this was the opposite i was shooting scenes with a video village there with like 10 people, 10 suits behind it, all actively judging my performance. So we're not shooting the scenes. They're just there to assess whether or not I'm good enough for this show. So I just, I just remember checking out the whole day was kind of white noise to me. I tried to have a sense of humor about it. Um, <clears throat> but I was having a tough day. It didn't go well. Like, again, it was just, nothing was really working. I was going to New York that night. I remember with my girlfriend then at the time and wife now, Troy, and we were going to go see a bunch of theater in New York. So I was just like, let's just get through this, get to New York and have a nice trip. Got to New York. I think I came out of a view from the bridge uh, and had 20 voicemails from people. And I was like, oh, here we go. And picked up the phone and it was everyone in my world just being like, it's over. It's not happening. So sorry. We tried to make it work. And I remember just being so angry because I didn't want this to begin with. I didn't want any of it. I didn't want to be on the show. I didn't get the script. It wasn't my thing. So the lesson from this for me was just like, I should have said no, you know, even though it was a great opportunity. And I, and by the way, everyone got fired from this pilot. I was the first really of many, the, the writers ended up being fired from the pilot the Fran Kranz, you know, who's incredible and amazing he's and hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's an amazing dude. He got fired from the pilot. Like everyone went away from the pilot. Uh, Ryan Hansen, who I love and I think is insanely talented and really funny, got the part that I was played and I'm sure killed it. I never saw it, but, you know, he's perfect for it. He can make like a phone book funny. Is he the one from Party um, Down? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. He's so good. He's so good. And it's just like exactly what that thing needed. But even with him and them, I think the show fell apart and didn't work because I think 
the, the bones of it didn't work and they kept trying to change it rather than trust, you know, the person like David Dobkin, who they had gotten or the great writers, I forget their names, but they were the guys that did 500 days of summer. Um, so they were great writers too, but instead of empowering them to like, let us all go do our thing and make it our own. They did what studios and networks do, which is they have a lot of money on the line and they start micromanaging it and they micromanaged it into the ground. And so everybody got fired. I just happened to be the first that got fired. And it was the first time I'd ever been fired and it felt very public and very humiliating. And it would be one thing if it was this job that I like desperately wanted. I mean, it would have been more crushing probably to lose that job, but it was still so painful to go through that. And I guess if I walked away with any lesson, it was just like, listen, listen to your instincts on this stuff, like, you know, and work with people that you can say, I understand why you think this is a good move, but it's just not, it's not my skill set. This is not what, this is not going to work out. And even if I got it and this show went forever, I'd probably be miserable because if I don't like it now, I'm not going to like it in five years. So uh, it was a really painful time, but it prepared me for, you know, what was my next big opportunity, which was suits, which I went in with a completely different mentality of like, make this my own, enjoy it. What do I love about this? And I was really drawn to that script and it just, it was the exact opposite. It totally clicked for me. I felt like I could really do something with it. And, uh, and because I'd gone through that horror show, I went in feeling like I had a suit of armor on. I was like, nothing can hurt or embarrass me as much as that. Yeah. Process did. What was the what was the time frame between Friends with Benefits and Suits coming about? I think it was months, a few months. Weeks? I think it was, yeah, months. No, I think it was a few months. I think it was a few months. I mean, I was licking my wounds for for a good while there. Um I don't remember exactly. I mean, I'm sure I was like drowning my sorrows in in, in booze at that point too, or like just trying to check out. Um so I just remember feeling really sorry for myself for a few weeks to a couple of months. And then that audition came in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I actually appreciate, you know, you're apologizing for going into the story in depth. I love it because, you know, a lot of times you can have these conversations on this show in particular and people get it. They go, oh, you know, my point is like, it never ends. And we'll get into that later. Like it never mm -hmm. ends because, mm -hmm. you know, I know some stuff you're, uh, you know, business-wise up against current day and it's like, it, mm -hmm. it just never ends. But what I appreciate about you going into that story is I really want, I love hearing that, sure, you had this massive success with Suits following that. But when you go to tell that story, it's like you're experiencing it current day and, oh, it's, and that's it's, it's how like, deep it cuts it's yeah, like, it's like trauma it's it's trauma yeah. i mean it really is to a young to a young actor who's still like trying to be like is someone validate me like am i supposed to be doing this am i making a complete fool of myself and then something like that happens it it's very real as soon as i start talking about it i remember exactly that feeling of being on that set and watching those eyeballs behind video village just like yeah like talking and whispering and shaking their heads and just being like, I have to keep going here. You know, your instinct is just like, get up and walk away. Be like, it's good. I'm done. Um, so yeah, it puts me right, puts me right back there. Well, it's helpful for people to hear that because a lot of young actors listen to this show. And, and I think that the, the, what happens is people see someone like yourself and they go, Oh, well, look at this guy. You know, this guy has quote made it and he doesn't get it he doesn't get what I'm going through right now. And my point is, yes, he does. And yes, he's been through it and he still goes through it in some way. So I, well, I just I love, I mean, yeah. I just, but to throw some res mad respect your way, I love that you're doing this because part of my 
journey through this entire industry is always that this isn't normalized that like how tough it is, uh, on mental health on, you know, there's, there's serious mental health stuff, but also just the everyday, our opinions of ourselves, it feels very isolating and alone. It's very tempting to feel like, Oh, I am the, I'm the fraud. I'm the big mistake. I'm the one who's pretending like I can do this, but everyone else is the one that can actually do it. Um, and then you get into the comparing game to other people and it's all really toxic and really poisonous. And I think it's really cool that you're doing something that allows people who are at any stage in the process to check in and go, Oh, right. This is normal. Everybody yeah. goes through it. Everybody continues to go through it. Um, I think oh, that's thank great. You. So, Thanks, yeah. man. Well, well actually let, let's kind of go at it from the flip side then, because then you, you do suits, which comes about shortly thereafter. That is just this just huge hit. Um, your role in particular, just really, sings for you know people love mm -hmm. it you get nominated for a sag award you're kind of uh you know what's cool for me with our relationships we haven't seen each other in so long but we shared a manager way back when mm -hmm. we were kind of in the same boat i was older than you and um well you, you still, I, looked, I mean i was looking at but i was looking at your career because you know we shared the manager and you were booking and i wasn't booking i was booking like or I was booking like really weird guest stars on very like strong medicine guest star or something, but you were on the West Wing. So it was like, Oh, what's that up to? Oh my God. Well, you quickly, uh, you quickly ran right ahead of me. So <laughs> you were drafting on me and you ran ahead. We're, I saw we're you the same I'm just seeing your heels going ahead of me. So uh, that's another lesson for everybody to see too. You know, it's like, you're not where you are right now is not where you're going to, you know, end up being. But my, my question about that is like, so you talked about the isolation, in in the tough parts mm -hmm. i'm curious about was there any um almost flip isolation where all of a sudden you're you're getting accolades you're on this show it's i mean i'm sure it's got to be such a relief i think i just looked it up it's like 111 episodes you're going oh, i have a i mean people that are not in this business don't get it just going oh, i have a job is, mm -hmm. is kind of a big relief, you know? Um, now you're on this, in this other thing where maybe there are expectations for you. Uh, maybe there are expectations of a season goes really well. Is the next season going to live up to it? Is your performance? W talk to me about that. I'm, I'm curious, just like what the mental battle is when you're actually in a great position, the different mental battle. It was really tough, to be honest. The first season, it, it changed season to season. My first season was, I've never worked so hard in my life on, on that year. I mean, I was, and it was a lot of fear. It was a lot of like, I don't want to be the person that's caught not doing his job or whatever. I felt like I'd gotten this great opportunity and that it could be taken away, you know, or like any, at any moment, someone was going to come around and say, you know, oh, sorry, not this one either. You got to go. Um so I just remember putting everything I had into that uh, to the point where, you know, it was shot in Toronto. There was a fair amount of isolation, exhaustion, as in any first season where you're doing, you know, our, our hours are like 16 hours a day. Sometimes it was a lot of Gabriel and I, it wasn't as much an ensemble in that first season. Like it was all just the two of us. And then we were flying around doing press on the weekends, which I had never done any of that too. So it was just this like, whirlwind that I don't really remember the details. I just remember the feeling of like, I remember one time in particular, it's like 
three in the morning and I'm shooting and we finish the scene and I go, wait, don't we have to shoot my coverage? And they're like, we did that like two hours ago. Like it was that kind of thing where I just could, like nothing, the time made no sense anymore. I was so out of it, but I was also having a ball and I was so committed to it. And every scene, part of the reason we were shooting 16 hours a day is we were all like, how do we make this scene the best version of this scene? Who cares how long it takes? You know, we got to do it right. And everybody was on board to do that. So the first season was pretty great. I was exhausted and if I think back, I, I put a little too much in, like I, my, there was no, no other part of my life that was doing okay. I wasn't talking to friends. I wasn't really talking. Troy and I were, you know, 3000 miles apart and she was on her own show. So that was great and tough. And then as the seasons went on, um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. There's a lot of isolation. There was a lot of um, trying to get back to, you know, I had an incredibly successful first season and got that SAG award nomination, which was completely surprising and shocking. And then for, with that felt like, Oh, I got to go do more of that. We all got to go do more of that because we got this great nomination and I, I didn't have the tools with which to understand what that was. So there was some ego there too. Not like I was a monster about it, but it was like, we got to go back and like, whatever we did first time round, we got to double down on it. Right. So I became really hard on myself and anything that felt like it was straying from that path became very difficult for me to metabolize. And like, um, I became really like, again, fear, like for so much of that early part of my life, it was just like fear based, like something now I've got something now it's going to be taken away or we're going to lose it. Um, it was a great group of people who definitely kept me grounded and we all, you know, nothing like nothing went crazy. And I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't in, there was no room for egomaniacs on that set. So any one of us could have a day where it was starting to peak and there'd be more than a few people to like knock you down a peg. So it wasn't about that. I just so badly felt like this was my one chance to prove everything to the whole world about everything I could do that I lost a certain amount of chill in my own life. So it became over the years then very painful and isolating, not to say it wasn't also wonderful and an incredible gift. And suddenly like I had this calling card, um, but my life itself definitely started to to suffer because it was isolating. I was far away from Troyan. Um, I didn't really have uh, like a good therapy practice at the time. I didn't have people to talk to about it. And also nobody really wants to hear you complain about your hit show. Right. There's no real room for that in the community of people to be like, yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, you always have to be grateful for it. And I'd always felt the pressure to do that. And there were not a lot of people that I could be like, yeah, but this is hard work. And it's starting to get repetitive. And I feel like I'm just repeating myself. And I'm trying to go do other things in the off season, but nobody wants me to do anything other than, than what I'm doing on this show. You know, all those yeah. traps. And I was young and super scared and isolated. And all of this is sort of why I ended up leaving the show a little early, because I just felt like I need to go get my head straight again. I need to go like... I don't, I no longer have anything to offer to this process. Um, and I'm so happy I did. It was really hard to leave. Um, it's an incredible group of people, like truly just wonderful people who are still such family to me. Um, but I just felt for my own well being, I needed to like go home and be with, you know, Troyan and 
um, begin that part of my life because it had been on hold for so long and then just figure out like, do I have something else to offer or is this it? Like, did I get my one thing? And like, when I die, it'll say Patrick Adams suits and that'll be it. And I just decided that I needed to see if there was anything else we could put after my name and my obituary. Yeah. yeah, but it was hard. It was really hard. And it's it's hard to talk about even now because it sounds ungrateful. In my mind, it sounds ungrateful. It sounds like, yeah, but you, ha- you, you lived know, the dream. You know what you I know, mean? No, you know what? It's funny. I mean, people could, I guess people could uh, interpret it that way. I I feel like, you know, I'm so appreciative that you're, you're talking about it because um, it's something that people aren't allowed to talk to and, and, Uh, You know, I feel lucky that I have, you know, a couple of friends in my life that have been doing this a long time that uh, have, you know, um, we've all had varying degrees of success uh, and we're allowed to complain to each other. It's a and it's a it's like that those relationships are such a safe haven because when things are going well, there are still there are still complaints. Like you're, I'm so glad I asked you so that people can hear this and, and, and I applaud you for just for saying it because the whole thing is, you know, it's kind of like the Holy grail of what, of what we want. We want this great job, but there is the other side, which is like, yeah, you get there. And now there, there's just a new set of challenges. There's a new set of problems. And, you know, my wife and I will always say this. It's like, Wherever you go, there you are. You know, yeah. you're not going to you're not going to solve everything. A job is not going to solve it. It's a you know the paycheck. and when I and when I was young and when I got suits like that, my identity. I think you just nailed it on the head. I made my identity my job because I knew that it was such rare air that I was getting to breathe because I had been hustling for so long that it was suddenly like, oh, here's the job. You have to put every ounce of who you are into this to the point where I identified so strongly with it. Which, as soon as you do that with anything in this world, as soon as anything becomes your identity, I lost everything else. And then all mm. of a sudden, the pressure every day going to work being like, no, this is my whole life. This show, this scene, this moment in this scene is everything. And if we don't get this right, then I'm not right. Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. is completely insane. <laughs> but I had never learned that level of balance because so much it's feast or famine, what we do and what I had bit the, what I had been in before I got this opportunity was sort of the terror zone that none of it was going to work out. Um, that once I got this job, I had to give it my all and I lost everything else. So, and that makes not for great work. I mean, if we're just, you know, there's the mental health part of this and the personal side of it, but it's also the work part. Like it makes you so singular and everything you put too much pressure on something. So it's no longer fun or vibrant, or you're not trying new things because it's like, I was, We're I gripping was like it too holding tight. on to it too tight. Yeah. Um, and that took such a toll over a long period of time. And the hard part too, is, you know, you're on a hit show. So everybody's just like, this is amazing. Or you're walking down the street and it's like, Mike Ross, you're the king. Let's take pictures. And you're kind of like, yeah, I, I, this is great. But also I'm kind of, hurting <laughs> yeah. kind of like I, I am, I am, I'm out of whack. I'm out of balance. I don't totally have it together, but everybody's celebrating you everywhere you go. And that was, that was hard for my you know, it, youngish brain to. Yeah. To Cause you together. were, how, how old were you when you got that, that gig? I think I was 28. Wow. 
Um, but like maturity wise, I was probably 22, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I had, I, uh, there's, there's a lot that I wish again, this is why I appreciate what you're doing. Cause like, I, I love the opportunity and continue to love the opportunity to talk to young people, to help, you know, there's no system in this industry or town to help educate people about this is a hard job, you know, it's a great yeah. job, but like, again, feast or famine. And when you get it, all of a sudden your whole life, like you're living in Pittsburgh for eight months or you move to like me, you move to Toronto or you, and that's your whole life. It's like, you're not doing anything else. And uh, there's very little like mental preparation for that kind yeah. of thing. And, and truth uh, be told for myself, Patrick, I'm like, I've yet to have uh, that moment. And, and PS, it may never come in that way, but something happened to me a few years ago where I had this shift from complaining about my career and how slow it was because it feels like molasses. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been very, again, same thing, very grateful. I've had a lot of yeah. opportunities and someone could go like, are you serious? You know, it's yeah. been pretty good. It has, but there's something happened. And I think the podcast helped with it where all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm actually grateful for how slow it's gone. I think for the reason that you're talking about, I, I feel like, and, and I'm unproven and it's untested. So maybe I'm completely full of crap and I'll get into something that's a juggernaut that takes off the way suits did and I'll lose myself. But I kind of feel like I'm kind of not a spring chicken anymore. I know who I am for better, or for worse. I know who my friends are. And so hopefully you have, you have a foundation. Yeah. I mean, hopefully I, I'm going to go, it's a, it's a gig and I love it. And I'm, you know, I'm into it, but I'm going to, you know, at this stage, I'm like, I'm not, I don't have the illusions at least that I used to have. For example, when I got Sopranos, I thought like, oh, my life is going to change. And it didn't by the way, but I yeah. thought I had, yeah. a, I had such a different image of what a job would do for me at that age. Yeah. Whereas totally. now I go, it, I would love it. It's great. I, I'm so grateful. But it's a job also. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you have your life, you know, especially yeah. as we get older, we have kids and we have our, you know, our relationships. And it's like, that's our life. we got to like create that foundation. That's got to be good. And then the rest is icing on the cake. It's like, oh, let's go play here. Let's go play here. That's the place I want to be in as an actor. Yeah. Um, and when the right thing comes along and it's like, okay, here we go. This is going to be a really intense eight months. Like, great. Yeah. <clears throat> I haven't experienced that. Well, I, with the right stuff, I guess, was the first thing I had done after Suits that was a little bit like that, but not even as intense as that experience was because it was a nice big ensemble. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely have to like, I think it's a great place to be in where you're at, which is like, I know what matters in my life and no job is going to be the thing that comes to like define me, even if it wants to, it's like, we can be like, there's a boundary there. So there's like, a little bit, there's job. a little bit of distance. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. I was so ready to give over everything to the job, you know, and the more successful it became, it was like, great. See, I was right. I hitched it to the right wagon. This is me. And that's just recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, do, you know what? Talk to me a little bit about your photography. Cause I remember uh, <coughs> back then, I don't know if you remember this. I think we, we went to Willie Nelson concert uh, together at the Hollywood bowl a long, oh long time ago, Deirdre and I, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we, there was, there was a group of us, but, but I remember back then talking to you uh, about photography. I feel like you had this passion on the side, which I, I would now say is like how I feel with this podcast where it gives me, it gives me creative life outside of the, the 
creative energy yeah. I get from acting. Uh, yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about uh, when that sparked for you with photography, and and is that still something that you're really passionate about? And and how does that feed your acting and all of it? I think photography was certainly it for a while. Um, I think early on I sensed I needed something. I didn't know it, what was happening or why I was doing it, but I sensed like, oh, I need something other than this because this is so, you know, we just don't even get to work that much. I had like, I would go to acting classes and get a little hit of it, but it was like acting is something you need to do with other people. It's, it's not something you can kind of just do alone and keep yourself feeling vital and creative. So uh, photography had been a thing I'd done since I was a kid. My dad had a lot of cameras around the house. I was always, as an art form, I was always, um, you know, more attracted to going to museums to look at photography than, than I was like painting or, or anything like that. So I, it's something that I had friends that were doing a lot and I was gravitated towards that. And I started collecting cameras and taking a lot of photos and it just became a fun thing for me to be able to do and learn. And like anything, you can go down the rabbit hole and, you know, get a bunch of different cameras and start shooting with film and learn about dark rooms and learn about posts. And so it just became a really great way for me to sort of document my life and my, my community and uh, my travels. So it never felt like, like anything important. Like it never felt like, Oh, this is my art form. It just felt like a fun thing to do that, was keeping me um, active. And in retrospect, it was such a gift because it really was that like, like, oh, this is mine. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I'm not doing it for anyone else. You know, when Instagram came along, that changes it, suddenly becomes presentational. But really, I was just doing it for me and doing it to like record my life and take pictures of people I love. I took headshots. I don't, did I take your headshots at some no, point? No, no, no. Oh, okay, because I was taking headshots for a long time, uh, which I love doing. Like, it was a good way to make money. I'm Canadian, so I couldn't work in Los Angeles. Like, I couldn't get a job. I didn't have a visa at that point. So I was taking headshots in my garage and it just, and even those felt fun and creative and, and that it belongs strictly to me. I don't, I, I still take quite a few photos now that I have a kid. It's mostly just pictures of her. Um, and I, I still beat myself up a little bit that I'm not doing it more, but I do always have something going on like that. Like from the last six months I've been learning to fly and it's not uh, necessarily a creative, I mean, it is creative in its own way, but it's always something outside of myself that I can be focusing on so that the first, when I get an audition, it's not that same feeling I had with suits where it's like, here we go. I got to give this everything. It's more like another creative thing to give it a shot and, and, and see if it's a good fit. But like, I know I have something to go do after it that that's all mine and that I can totally decide my level of involvement in. And it's just for me. So that's, that's always been an important thing. Did you find when you were in that period in suits, when you kind of felt like you lost yourself to the, do, do you, can you go back and see maybe that the photography went away for that little time? No, actually that's when it ramped up a little bit. When it, things were starting, I, 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 you know, I didn't realize again that I was doing it at the time, but I was taking a ton of photos on suits. And one of the things, cool things that, well, I mean, so many cool things came out of suits, but one great memory was, uh, I don't remember what season it was, but USA, I worked with USA to put together this like gallery show of my photos from suits in New York. And I got to go do like my first, you know, big print. They printed, you know, they paid for the printing and the framing. And I had this whole sort of experience of having my work there. And it was all framed as a way to kind of create some publicity around suits. Obviously it wasn't just for the photography, but, um, 
you know, it was one of those funny things where it was like, oh, this was how I was staying sane was having in the middle of the madness where nothing was really my decision and I didn't get to do anything. I got to have some creative agency by taking photos um, and shooting the process and, and documenting the process of what it is to like make a television show. Um, and again, this was like just before <clears throat> Instagram was a thing and, and actors are, you know, taking millions of pictures behind the scenes. So it felt like I had a unique perspective of this thing and people were interested in it. Um, and I think in a way it kept me sane. It felt, gave me, made, made me feel like I had this little world that I was in charge of while there was this larger world that I had no control over whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah. what, ab what about your, you know, just your entree into acting? I really don't know your origin story. I know you were, you were, uh, uh, born and raised in Toronto. Is it, yeah. or, okay. And yeah. were you acting at a very young age? I know you went to USC. That's kind of, I, I think when I met you, you were out of USC, maybe a few years. Yeah, um, probably, and I know yeah. you had some uh, immediate, you, you seem to work right away, but I also know that, like you said, there was that waiting period of it was, it was a little obscure, but you, you did seem to have success. You did theater, but what, a, as a kid, were you a guy that was playing sports? Do you have siblings? Were you, what, what was the story that got you to acting? It's a great question. Um, I think I was a really lonely kid when I was eight, when I, before I was eight years old, uh, I think I was a normal kid. I was pretty outgoing. I liked like putting on plays for my parents and like, I liked, like I had a performative streak. Um, cause I was a really kind of safe and happy kid. And then we had this big move when I was about eight years old, we moved to England and I was kind of ripped out of my life and like, you know, I had no friends and it was a very strange time. And I don't remember a ton about it other than suddenly feeling very, alone and sort of scared and whatever sort of outroverted, um, extroverted, uh, parts of my personality there were, they kind of turned introverted at that point. And I don't remember, I remember I like saw a play, such a random memory. So like play when I was in London, I think maybe, um, like it was a school trip or something to see this play. It was like children's theater, but it was really uh, magical. I remember being like, what is this? I had seen plays before, but something about that experience, probably coming at a time when I was feeling very isolated and kind of scared and unsure of where I fit in the world. And I remember going to see this thing and being like, what is that? Can you do this? I don't understand. Like, like, is this a job? This looks like so much fun. And I remember talking to my parents about about it. And I, you know, I'd always loved films and, 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 you know, was the kid that would watch a VHS until it like gone bare, like we'd rent a movie and I'd watch it six times before it went back. So I, I always loved storytelling. I loved getting lost in it, but something in that moment is what transported me to the, like, Oh, this might be something you can actually do for a living. And so for me, from that point on, all the way up to high school, when I really get start getting the chance to do it. Um, and that's really where I found my, like my people, you know, until I, from, from that young age to high school was like, there was no real opportunity to do it anywhere. And my parents certainly aren't, the, 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 neither of them are actors or, you know, in the artistic field. So there wasn't a lot of like um, pushing me in any particular direction. So I sort of just kept it in the back of my mind that it was something I'd like to do. And then I got to high school and you could do it. 
And suddenly there was like, you know, a whole drama department that you could be involved in. And I just remember that's really where I came into my own. And I think ultimately it was just a way for me to try and get out of this introverted streak I'd gone into. And it just felt like a way to like get out of myself. In retrospect, I think it was probably like a I was so uncomfortable in my own skin at that age, like so many of us. And I think the idea that I could just be someone else was great. I think it was as simple as that. I don't remember having that thought now, but if I, if I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why it appealed to me so much, it was probably that. Um, and so I threw myself into it. I found my people and I just started chasing one opportunity after the other. I just started directing plays in high school. And then suddenly it was like, well, we go to college now. Okay. Can I go do that? Can I do, do acting there? And then obviously learn about theater programs and uh, audition for theater programs and got into USC and was like, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing. I mean, I, it was always sort of just one step. It was like a Forrest Gump existence. There was no grand plan. It was just like, I guess I'll do that. I didn't have parents that were, you know, I didn't, I, I think I went to one audition in Toronto. I had no concept of what the business was, right. how that worked, how I would be involved. I think maybe I wrote a couple of letters to agents in Toronto on my own scheme, just being like, Hey, can I, you know, have an agent? Like, but no direction, no, no mentor walking me through the process. Um, and that's how I arrived in LA and just started doing the theater program there and got really lucky right out of school. Um, I think I was, I think that's when I did that play at the taper was like the year after I graduated. But again, it was just like one step after the other. It was like, I was an intern at the Mark taper forum, which is a theater here in Los Angeles. And then they were doing a play that happened to have a role for a guy, my age, they refused to let me audition for it. Cause they saw me as the coffee boy. Like it was like, no, he's not an actor. He's the intern. And then, uh, my manager at the time, Andy, our manager, uh, uh, he fought diligently for me to get that opportunity. And I went in and again, just wanted to like prove to them that I was at least worthy of the audition. And then I got that. And so all of a sudden I was on the, on the main stage at the Mark taper and that was it. I just kept, you know, I, I am a hustler, you know, I'm, 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 I deeply want to be working on the next thing and trying to get to the next step. So I got very, very fortunate out of school. Um, to get a few opportunities. And then that was after that play was when things dialed down into the, into the, you know, the normal, like, what am I doing every few months you do a guest star on a, on a strange show. And I um, just trying to like piece that together. And then you start auditioning for pilots and it all felt very just like, uh, like I had no control over any of it. You know, yeah. I had like, it wasn't like I was getting to make choices. I was just, you know, following one opportunity after the other and hoping that would work out. And what about, what about writing? I know you directed a few uh, episodes of Suits. I don't know mm -hmm. what your aspirations are as a director, but I imagine the photography, you're a smart guy. Um, are you, do you write as well? Have you, um, do you have designs to do? And, and maybe you already have, and I, I, you know, don't know about it, but films of your own, indie films, anything that you've, yeah. I dream of it. I dream of uh, my wife, Troyan is uh, an inspiration when it comes to writing. Like she's a, she's a real writer through and through. She's also a phenomenal actor, but she's uh, she has the discipline to write. And I am very undisciplined. It's very hard for me to sit down and write. But when I have in the past, we've made a short film together. Um, and I've uh, currently have a thing that we're working on with Sony, which is a 
a script based on a story that I, I, I know some Canadian bank robbers. That's a long story, but I'm always trying to develop stuff, but I always like need other people to help me do that part of it. Cause I, again, I just don't have the discipline. Um, but I'd like to get better at it. Um, once I'm actually in the middle of doing it, I quite enjoy it. But, uh, and my father, who's a journalist, he's an incredible writer and he's always trying to tell me that I need to write more. But the directing thing was like, as soon as I got suits, I was uh, Chris Gorham, who was on, um, oh God, what was that show called? The Spy Show. Oh, you'll kill me for forgetting it. Uh, Covert Affairs was another okay. USA show that was shooting across the hall. And when I first got to Suits, they were in their second season and he was directing an episode of that. And I was like, that's a thing. We can do that. And so the minute I got to Suits, I was like, what do I have to do? Should this show become successful to be considered to direct um, and, and they told me, you know, you shadow and, and when the time's right, they'll give you the opportunity. So that was a no brainer for me because I directed so much theater and in, in high school and college, um, the writing thing, I keep waiting, like finding the right story, finding the right thing. But even when I do that, I know it will be with a lot of help from, from Troy and other friends of mine that do a fair amount of writing. Yeah. And then I have to ask you, because you played a guy that was so brilliant, that was kind of, you know, this uh, savant. Yeah. Were you a, were you a guy that was that did well in in the school <clears throat> system within the traditional educational system? Did you do well or are you just I know you're a smart guy from having had conversations right. with you. But how did that work? Thank you. <laughs> um I did okay in school. I certainly could have applied myself a lot more. I was, I very much like my character on the show. Um, I was very good at pulling things together at the last minute. You know, I was very good at the, like, let's stay up for two days and write the paper and end up doing pretty well on it rather than like actually invest the time and energy and, you know, think about it and take a few weeks to really work on a draft and make the second draft. I was always the, like, Oh my God, this thing's due tomorrow. We got to figure it out. And I'd always managed to eke it out because I was just, you know, smart enough to, to pull it together, but it was always stressful, you know? So I did well in school, but in retrospect, I always wish that I had been a little bit more curious and taken a little bit more time because I, that's really where I learned the, like the, the deep anxious approach to work to like, Oh my God, I got to do this now. Yeah. Um, so my work ethic was not great, but I always somehow managed to, to pull it out. Yeah. Um, except for when it came to acting. I mean, when we were doing plays again, I, that was really where I learned to make that my everything like, Oh, this is, this is what I'm focusing on. That paper can wait because we're going to do this play. Or I ran a theater company, uh, a student run theater company, student of student written plays and directed plays. And that became my whole life, you know, like that was where I put all of my energy and would be there until two in the morning building sets and hanging lights. And then again, get home and be like, oh, but I need to write that art history paper. Um, so I, I, I managed to pull it out. My mother would have killed me if I didn't, you know, pass classes and stuff. So uh, it was important to me to do that, but it certainly wasn't the priority. I probably could have made it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um how were you at school? Did you, did you go to school? I, I went, yeah, I ended up going to Boston College. I, I was kind of, um, you know, not typical to an actor. I kind of, I was, 
Well, I shouldn't say not typical to an actor, but I, I kind of had a, a, I didn't know many actors. There was one guy in my town that I knew who did a youth group who I'm still friends with to this day. He was an actor and I looked up to him, but I really didn't think of it as a viable, I, I, I it just wasn't even on my radar. Um, Is that so what did, you went to school for? Did you go to school for theater? For no, acting no. I was like, by default, I was an English major. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. You know, oh, okay. I, I did well in school. I was like, I, you know, my mom's a teacher, my dad's a lawyer and, and my mom was a special ed teacher. So very patient. I feel like I was given, um, you know, good, good study habits. Um, I also did that kind of, you know, last minute thing in college. I remember pulling a lot of all nighters, but I was, yeah. I, I played a sport in college. So I, um, I, what, I kind what, of was what did you play? Uh, lacrosse. So, so I was forced, that kind of forced you to really be pretty disciplined with your time and schedule your time. And, and, um, so I, I was relatively disciplined as a student and, um, yeah, but I just, I'm, I'm, I had something for it you. Sounds like we, it sounds like we both had, it sounds like we both had parent. like my parents were real workaholics and they were also great critical thinkers. I think that had a lot to do with my ability to succeed at school. It was like I had grown up in an environment where um, they were very, they sort of questioned everything and encouraged uh, at a young age to like be able to participate in conversations that maybe other young people weren't having yeah. to participate in. And I think that gave me a leg up in my ability to, even if I wasn't smart to sound smart, <laughs> to make yeah. myself seem smarter when I needed to be in school. So I think that's what allowed me to, to keep up with the work when my work ethic probably wasn't as strong as it should have been, or at least my, you know, my preparation wasn't as strong as it should have been. Yeah. Well, actually speaking of a kind of work ethic or approach, what, when you get let's say it's an audition or you get a role, how do you, and we don't have to go into such a rabbit hole with this, but what's kind of the first, do you have one particular way that you will approach something from the beginning when you get material? It's always changing for me. Um, Something that's happened in the last few years, and it kind of goes back to that initial story with, with friends with benefits, which was like, there was a time when my whole focus was how do I get this right? They're looking for something, right? They have their idea of the perfect version of this. And how do I slot myself into, how do I make myself the perfect version of what they're looking for? And I guess just with enough no's and enough things not working out and also the experience of like some success and going to a place and then trying to do that and it feeling not good. um, I've just realized that like, I have to figure out why this thing now for me. So it's as much working on the script and, you know, being prepared and, you know, looking at the dialogue and, and, and getting into the world. It's, it's a lot of that, but it's also me figuring out what's going on in my life right now. What I, why I would want to do the, do this, what I can bring to it. That's sort of unique to my perspective. Like if I'm going to play this role, like I got to bring some part of myself to it. Whereas I think as a young actor, it was like, I have to get rid of me. Me's not, me is not prepared. I have to puff myself up or do something to make myself more appropriate to this. Uh, and that made this not all that fun at, at the end of the day. And what makes it fun and rewarding now is like, what part of myself do I get to be exploring with this role, if anything? Um, and sometimes that's really clear when I read something. And other times it requires a little bit more 
meditating on and thinking about, and it changes as you work on it too. Uh, so I would just try it's, that's not a really specific, um, answer to your question, but everything is different, you know, with the right stuff. Uh, it began with just getting to know a ton about John Glenn and getting lost in that world. Cause I felt like a fraud when I got, and I was like, I am, this guy is an American legend and he is, you know, talk about work ethic. This guy is, you know, zero distractions. He is like a, a sharpened knife. Um, and everything that he did, he did with 150% of his attention. And so I was like, this isn't me, but I had to, you know, dig in and realize there were lots of points of connection, a deep passion, a sense of like purpose, a sense that I'm called to do something greater and then start discovering that part of myself more and, you know, like drawing those points of connection, um, and then running with it and seeing what happens if I, if I allow myself to become that person, or if I have a little bit more faith in myself. So it just becomes suddenly that turns this into like, I'm trying to impress the person I'm working with or like be the, the, you know, be the right guy for the job to just being my version of it. Because then I'm, I'm there having my own process. And if certainly I'm there to service another person's idea. So it's not like I'm just doing my thing, but by that point, like I'm invested because it has something to do with me, not just because I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I've had a similar path. I would imagine that's a real, Real challenge, not only playing a real person from, but but playing someone that's so famous in history that there's this, there's got to be on some level this obligation to live up to that icon, and yeah. how do you make it your own? And how, it, at a certain point, would you, would you kind of? let go of the idea of playing John Glenn and, and, and make the character your own and just say, yeah, it's, it's, there's a, it, you know, I, I don't know if that's yeah. easy no, to that's answer. Exactly it. I, no, I mean, it was, it was different every day. It was a constant kind of battle with my own, my inner voice going, you have no right to be doing, you, can't, you have no right to be doing this, you know? And at some point I had to kind of like welcome I learned so much about him. You know, it was all re- like I, I, I did the research. I got all the facts and the figures and the dates and listened to the voice and all that is an important part of it technically. But then at some point I had to like begin a conversation with him in my head and just be like, you got to let me do like what, whatever, like I have to, I, I can't be a slave to just the technical part of it. I can't just try and replicate you. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, and it won't be very interesting. I have to figure out what about your story resonates with me so that when the time comes, it was the funniest part shooting that. Cause it's the first time I'd ever had that much to research, you know, and that much, that, that so much source material. And it was so funny because I like went to these archives in Ohio and I spent two days going through. So I just had like this binder of stuff and hours of audio that I could listen to. And I'd spent a ton of time working on it. And then you get to set. And the first thing we were shooting was me shaving in front of the mirror, you know, day one. Okay, here we are. We're shaving and I'm feeling confident. I'm like, I've never prepared this much for a role. Let's go. And you get in there and they say action and you start shaving. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I don't, if I'm just basing this on a binder and audio that I'm listening to, like I have to shave, how the hell do you shave? You know, I haven't thought about how he shaves. 
And then it becomes just a process of let go and trust. Like you've done the work, it's all in there. And whatever comes out is going to be coming out through me as a filter. Um, and I had to release myself from the pressure of like getting everything exactly right. Or, you know, I'd, I'd have his voice in my head sitting there some days being like, you think that's how I shave or you think yeah. that's how I walk <laughs> or is that really what you think I sound like? And I'd have to be like, John, you got to let me, you know, yeah. like I'm doing, I'm doing my best here. You got to guide me. Don't judge me. Um, and it ended up just being, again, it was a creative environment with really good people. And, uh, I, it, we made it a safe place to like fail and like try things and like be big. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try it smaller. Let's like, let's just take a few swings at it. And after a while you just start becoming very forgiving and, and realizing that like, you've got a lot of talented people around you that are going to tell you if it's not working. And, uh, and once you started rolling with it, it was such a blast, so much fun. And, and I was so grateful and felt so honored the whole time to be having the opportunity to tell his story. So I have, I always have three final questions for people, but before I get there, um, depending on your, you know, whether you're game to talk about it, you know, when mm -hmm. we spoke yesterday, you told me that this was a particularly good time to talk about. No, <laughs> got a good, no, we got a good no yeah. do you want to talk about <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, of course. yeah. So yeah, let everybody know what you just, you know, the news you just heard. I, I think it's, if you're up for it, it's just uh, important for people to hear that it never ends, you know? Yeah. So, so we started shooting the series almost two years ago in July. It'll be two years ago. We started shooting in Florida. This is the um, right stuff. And this was right for stuff. National Geographic. Originally for National Geographic and then Disney plus ended up and Disney owns National Geographic. So they decided to premiere it and air it on the, their streaming service, Disney plus. Um, it began airing, I think in September um, of this year. And we'd been waiting to find out if we would get a second season, which I was excited about because it would be a lot about John Glenn's, uh, flight. Um, uh, and we just found out last week that Disney plus isn't, isn't picking up the show. Um, we're in a little bit of that weird zone that all shows seem to be in when they don't get their pickup where they're trying to sell it other places and see if it's getting picked up. I'm sure by the time this, you put this online that that answer will be better known. Um, but yeah, we got a good, good old fashioned no from the network or, or from, in this case, I don't even know if you call them a network, the streaming service, Disney um, saying, you know, they're not interested in picking up the show, uh, which we waited, you know, a long time. They, they ran down the clock on our contract. So we were, you know, it's, it's a, it's a significantly long wait to get a piece of bad news, which is that we're not going to go back to shoot the show unless by, you know, some amazing power, it, it ends up somewhere else. Yeah. I'm so yeah. I'm sorry to hear the news. And I had a similar situation actually with your guys from suits with, uh, Aaron course, Korsh and, uh, Rick Maragi a couple of years ago, a pilot I did that Rick wrote, uh, called oh, Paradise Pictures. You were so I, great on that. I, I forgot loved, you were in it. Yeah. Oh. I love those guys. I love that experience. I thought that th it felt destined to go and we waited, waited, waited. And then it was like, you'll hear by whatever it was. And yeah. then it was like, it's Thanksgiving. We still haven't heard. It's almost Christmas. And then it was like, you know, Merry Christmas. It's not going. And that's and, heartbreaking, man. Cause that pilot was great. It was really, yeah, it was, oh. it was good material and a great cast and all that. And, and, and I actually, you said something about you're learning to fly. I'm now putting it together probably because of 
yep. your role. And, and I had been, thing. yeah, like I had the same thing where I was, I was training with a boxing coach and because I was not playing a, yeah. a boxer, but he was a fighter. And, and, you know, I want people to hear that too. It's like, so here you are going, you know, it's really cool as a human, but you're going out of pocket and and with your time to go do this, to prepare for the role and also to add it to your own repertoire. But, you but know. that's the thing. I wasn't doing that. And that's why I have no, this was hard news to get. It's sad. This was an amazing group of people. Like I've never gelled so fast with a cast in my whole life. We loved each other. We loved working together. So there's a lot of sad about the news that we're not going, but the truth is I'm fine because the gift of having to shot that even shoot this one season of the show is it changed a lot of my, my life. I allowed it to play an important part of my life. I wasn't going to fly to train for the show. I was flying because I was super inspired to go do it. So I get to, I already, I get so many gifts from this season of the show and it sounds like Pollyanna-ish. I'm just trying to look on the bright side, but the, you know, it would have been great. It would have been so great to go and continue to tell this story, but there's so much great that's already come out of it for me professionally. I learned a lot. I was really challenged. Um, I, I got inspired to learn to fly. I'm, you know, and to put that into my life, which I probably never would have done if I hadn't gotten the chance to play this guy. And all that happened because I approached, I feel like I approached this job differently than I approached suits. For example, I didn't cling to it to define me. I saw it as an opportunity to grow and learn. And would I have loved to continue the opportunity to grow and learn more from it? Absolutely. But I have no control over that. So to let that, you know, have the effect it would have had on me 10 years ago, uh, it's, you know, it's suicide to some extent. Like, it's just, you're just asking for trouble. And so it was so great to really learn this information this week and go like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. It's sad. I would love to keep doing it. I'm going to miss those people. Um, but like, it's all going to be fine because I allowed the process. I feel like I had the opportunity to allow the process to just be what it was and show up for it and get whatever I could out of it and onto the next thing, you know, whatever that hopefully there is a next thing, but it suddenly turned work for me into an opportunity to grow personally and professionally rather than like, please God, I need this. If this doesn't work out, who am I? I have nothing. You know, it's just, again, the fear-based thinking, which I'd led with most of my life for some reason on this job, I managed to transition out of it and it not getting picked up has been like an example of like, Oh no, doesn't have to kill you. You know, it's like, I, cause I made the most of it while I had the chance. So yeah, I, I feel it's, it's really cool to have that experience. It's the first time in my life where no, of that magnitude uh, hasn't totally sort of derailed the confidence or it hasn't. Now I haven't fallen back into the terror yeah. um, or the regret, or we should have done something differently or I'm embarrassed. You it know, just is that, what it is. It's like sometimes yeah. I just don't want the humiliation part of it, you know, like all oh, embarrassing, like we, our show didn't do well enough to get picked up. Like certainly that's all there a little bit. Um, but you know, it's just all of this is so out of our control, especially as actors. We're just yeah. showing up to somebody else's world and we have no control how it turns out or who's going to respond to it. And uh, I felt like in this case, I, you know, I did the best I could. I think everyone did the best they could. And 
it just doesn't connect with people and you move on and maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it will. It's the thing. It, this might air and maybe somebody else picked it up yeah, you don't somewhere, know. but even, but it really almost doesn't matter to, to my, to, to my experience of it. It's not what's important. Yeah. I've got to imagine that being a father has something to do with that too. There's like, there's there, you know, you have other, there's just, you're getting, you know, it's, it's cool to talk to you. And, and even in the course of this conversation to see the evolution from where you were to where you are now in, uh, maturity. And I, I got to imagine that fatherhood has something to do with that. You're, you're not just, you're, you're so much less reliant on this business than you were back then. You know, when you were 28 versus now, it's, this is just, this is one sliver in the pie. Whereas then it seems like it was a whole pie, you know? I think raising a kid like would never want that. Like I'm getting to know myself in a way that like what I really want, who I am, what I have to offer, what I'm interested in, what I'm drawn to, you know, that's stuff that like it's late in life. I wish I'd done it earlier. And if, and having a kid is making me realize like, Oh, I want that for her. I want to model that. I don't want to model what was going on before. Yeah. The yeah. desperate, like somebody give me a job so that I can feel good about myself. You know, yeah. I, I, it's okay that I felt that way. I understand why I felt that way, but I'm really grateful to be out of that mindset um, and do whatever I can to keep myself out of that mindset. And for sure, having, you know, a little girl that I look at every day being like, I don't ever want that for you. I don't ever want you to feel like you got to reach outside of you and like need the world to give you, something, some feedback in order for you to feel okay with you. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's come into like sharp relief for me in a very, I mean, she's only two and a half, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 you, you, as you know, it, right off the bat, you start thinking about like, how do I want you to interact with the world? And, and, uh, I just would never want her to be thinking and feeling some of the things that I was going through in my early to late twenties yeah. or thirties. Or forties, <laughs> or, or right now, <laughs> today. Uh, so, uh, so last three questions. I ask everybody this. Uh, you've kind of, an, you know, people end up answering them in their own way throughout the conversation, but I'll give them to you anyway. Um, the word "no" means what to you? Well. This is where I should have listened to more of your podcast. So I knew these questions are coming. No, I, I don't like it when that. people are ready for them. Um, I think no used to mean like you're wrong. You know, you're wrong. You're not enough. Like not you. Um, and no, now maybe means like, just something else. You know, like it was so definitive before and now it's just like, uh, oh, it's just not going to be this thing. It's going to be some other thing. When in whatever context it comes in, um, it, it, it doesn't feel personal anymore. It just feels like, oh, it's not, this is not the thing right now. Yeah. For, for reasons I might not uh, know or understand, and I don't really need to. <clears throat> what about a, uh, do you have any saying, any phrase, any mantra that you lean on when everything kind of falls apart, <clears throat> goes sideways? I, t I worked with an Alexander movement coach once and they began their class with, uh, I have time. 
for me, I, I, I can rush, you know, I want, I want things. I want them now. I want everything to work out now. I want all my dreams to come true now. I want, I just want it all to happen now. Um, and that's always been a good reminder for me. It's just like, you have time and it's just like, take a breath, you know, um, take your hands off the wheel, you know, just trust that, that what's going to happen is supposed to happen. So I have time as, as I kind of return to it whenever I feel myself starting to spin into like putting my hands, like that grip we talked about, like, Oh, I gotta get that. I gotta make them, they gotta see it. I gotta prove, I gotta get them to, you know, accept me just relax. That's a good one. Uh, last question. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? <laughs> Eight years old. Um, <laughs> oh man, that is so hard. We could do a whole podcast just on that question. Um, I think at that move, I think that move I talked about, you know, when I was eight and I kind of felt left alone, you know, like I, nobody, I just didn't feel like anyone kind of had my back and it would just be going to that kid that like eight, eight year old, nine year old, and just being like, I got your back. You know, that's something I actually still do to this day. That's a big part of like the kind of work I want to do and the kind of person I want to be, which is just to include that kid into more of my decisions, into more of my creativity, um, and let him know that it's like, that I, that I see him and he's okay. You know, that I got his back. Um, so I don't know what the advice is rather than like, you know, just don't, don't worry. You know, you, 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 I've got you, you don't have to panic. You don't have to like fix everything. Like I see you world scary, but you're going to be fine. Um, I think for a long time I lost that, that part of myself, the playful, fun kid that just wants to like, you know, be creative and work with people and keep exploring and being curious. So whatever I would need to tell that kid to, to not retreat into his shell uh, that I did for a long time, I would, I would tell him whatever he needed to hear. Yeah. How long, by the way, and this is a question I should have asked about 30 minutes ago, how long did you stay in, in England for, we were there for like four years, but yeah. you know, when you're that young, it feels like a lifetime. Yeah. So then we moved back to Canada again. So I had these two moves, you know, it was eight and then four years later, moved back to Canada. And again, was the, the, the kid with no friends and, you know, had to reinvent myself again at that age. So <clears throat> there were two pretty substantial, um, shifts in my young life where I felt like, Oh my God, I got to start all over again and figure out who I am. Um, and I wish, you know, if I could go back, I'd just hang out with me through those years and just be like, it's okay. You're, you got you, I'm here. Um, you know, you know who you are, you know what you want, you know, it's fun. So yeah, yeah. that would be it. That's awesome. Rip Patrick Adams. Uh, Appreciate it. I really, <laughs> it's just so cool to have the excuse to sit down with someone yeah, like man. yourself after so long and, and have not just see you randomly around town and say, Hey, mm -hmm. what's up? And, yeah. and it, this is so it, nice for you to share all of this with my audience. Certainly I know will appreciate it. And it, it's been really cool to see you do everything you've done 
since, you know, that we, that, whatever that was over yeah. a decade ago, you've yeah, really man. just accomplished so much and, and to see you kind of thriving in your personal life as well. It's really awesome. So I very really much appreciate, appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's such a great opportunity and, uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you. Yeah. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All back. right. Top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, listen to your gut and don't be afraid to say no. Even when all the experts around you are telling you to say yes. And had 20 voicemails from people. And I was like, oh, here we go. And picked up the phone and it was everyone in my world just being like, it's over. It's not happening. So sorry. We tried to make it work. And I remember just being so angry because I didn't want this to begin with. I didn't want any of it. I didn't want to be on the show. I didn't get the script. It wasn't my thing. So the lesson from this for me was just like, I should have said no. On the other hand, I also want to point out that as painful as this experience was for Patrick, it laid the groundwork for him to eventually land the coveted role on Suits. Number two, you are more than your job title. And when I was young and when I got suits like that, my identity, I think you just nailed it on the head. I made my identity my job because I knew that it was such rare air that I was getting to breathe because I'd been hustling for so long that it was suddenly like, oh, here's the job. You have to put every ounce of who you are into this to the point where I identified so strongly with it, which as soon as you do that with anything in this world, as soon as anything becomes your identity, I lost everything else. This might be the most important lesson in this entire conversation. Sure, it's nice to get accolades. It's great to be paid a lot of money and be respected for what you do. But the minute you pin your identity onto the accolades or your title, you're doomed, regardless of whether the outside world realizes it. Number three, have a hobby that you love with no ulterior motive. So it never felt like, like anything important. Like it never felt like, oh, this is my art form. It just felt like a fun thing to do that was keeping me um, active. And in retrospect, it was such a gift because it really was that like, like, oh, this is mine. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I'm not doing it for anyone else. You know, an Instagram came along that changes it and suddenly becomes presentational. But really, I was just doing it for me and doing it to like record my life and take pictures of people I love. Again, this is linked to number two and the overarching through line of this conversation. Patrick's photography and later his learning to fly had a purity to it. I found it interesting that when I asked him if he stopped it during his isolated period on suits, he said that his photography actually increased. That's because it was his lifeline. It was his link to his pure creativity and artistry. And we all need to stoke our own fire when it comes to that, because relying on the business or external accolades will not do it. Stay inspired. Find a hobby. That's your job. You have to keep that fire burning. All right. That is it. Patrick J. Adams. Thank you so much, brother. Great to talk to you after all these years. Uh, thank you for sharing that with my audience, everybody who's listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. I know I can't imagine that actors and writers that are listening to this don't feel inspired in some way, don't feel enlightened in some way. Um, if you did enjoy this, please share it with your friends, text it to them, email it, put it on your social media, tag at Maddie Dell at 10,000 no 
knows on Instagram. So we know that you did it. We can go give you a little shout out. Um, if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, uh, a rating and review, that would be awesome. It just kind of increases the visibility of the show and lets more people hear these conversations. Um, and again, remember, if you want to uh, look into the 10,000 Nose Insiders, there's a link in the show notes. You can also do that at 10,000nose.com. All right. We will see you on Monday for our brief solo Monday morsel. That is it. Have a great weekend. 